Listen, I want to invite you to open up to Ephesians 6 uh, and pull out your notes. It looks like this. It has the giant words, help me, on the front, and we are going to get into that. Celebrating the unique parent-child relationship. Here's what's cool about this morning. I don't care if you've uh, never had kids, aren't married, whatever, uh, you all will get something out of this because you're all children uh, in here this morning. And uh, the Bible just has a ton to say about how the family is to work, and we're going to have some, some fun with that. I want all the kids uh, in the room here this morning to know this, that uh, being a parent is filled with untold amount of pressure, okay? It is really, really hard to be your parents. Now, I was just looking at Lindsay when I said that. Lindsay, don't take it personally, okay? I mean, that's just, that's just rude. I didn't really mean it that way. Uh, it's really hard to be parents, right? Uh, here's what happens. Um, Long before we even actually see you, we're in relationship with you, okay? Uh, you, you may have had dad that was talking through the belly button of his wife, you know, trying to communicate with his child and, uh, and all of that. Uh, the, the woman is, is growing this child inside of her. And uh, you, child, are like a mind-altering, body-deforming uh, entity in there. You're doing strange things. Here's, here's something I witnessed personally. I'm sitting on my couch, and across our one-bedroom apartment from me is my wife. And with joy in her voice and in her eyes, she says, Look, honey, he's moving, or she's moving. We didn't know which one our firstborn was. And here I am. I've been watching my wife for nine months changing form. And from across the room, I see this going like this. And she's smiling, and I'm going... Wow, dear, that's very strange. I mean, there's like an alien form inside my wife's stomach moving around and, and jabbing and all of this. Uh, out of the blue, your, your, your moms at some point just went, ow, like this, you know, like, get your foot out of there, you know, and, and was moving it around. Not only is the, uh, <clears throat> the leading up to it odd and strange, but... Uh, the second that my firstborn was, uh, was born, uh, I've told some of you had an internal monitor, so he had a screw sticking out of his head with a wire coming out the top. Not what I had envisioned. I've never seen that in the movies. Um, but very soon afterwards is this squ- you know, squirming uh, body there, and they hand the new dad a pair of scissors. Now, I don't really know who came up with this tradition of cutting the cord, but it's a bad idea. I'm sitting there. I'm kind of shaking already. It's really hard on us guys. I'm kidding. Ladies, I know you have it tough. I'm totally kidding. You're like, all right, buddy, we'll talk afterwards. They handed me scissors, okay? I mean, I, I've never been to med school. I, don't really, I haven't been to Stanford. I don't know what's going on with this, but I'm moving. The, like, they're like, cut right here. I'm like, okay, hope I get it right. I mean, that's just a real big pressure-packed moment. Kids, it's hard being kids, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, it's, it's pressure-packed being kids. Here's one of the gifts God gave to every one of you kids, okay? A bad memory, Early on, it's good that you didn't see how you came into this world. I mean, it's scary. It'll, it will just give you nightmares. Once you get to that point where if God blesses you're having kids, you'll just be like, man, I'm glad I didn't remember that. Uh, as soon as you come out, they're whacking you, they're beating stuff out of you, they're, they're sucking things and wiping your head, and you're looking weird anyways. And it's just, I mean, it's pressure packed. Uh, here's the other thing. Parents do crazy things, okay? We've all done this. By the way, parents... We've all made mistakes, so just go with it, right? There's a lot of grace. But there's these things called uh, changing tables. To you, it's like a three-story building, okay? It's way up here, 
And what happens is, um, for a while now, we've been changing you, doing our thing with you, and you're just like, ah! you don't do anything, you just lay there. But all of a sudden, one day, you figure out that if you shove your leg like this, you can flip your whole body over. But see, you haven't told us that yet. You didn't tell the parents. So we're up there. We think you're just going to stay there. So just for a second, we're just reaching back here to grab something. And next thing you know, you've fallen off a three-story building. And you're laying on the floor. And you're, once again, bad memory. You don't remember this. Okay? That's part of it is you bonked your head probably. But it's, it's pressure-packed being a kid. Okay? Every single thing you do, think about this. From the day you start living outside of your mom's womb, every single thing you're doing is brand new to you. Right? Until you do it again, and you start to build up some, some you know, muscle memory of, of how to figure things out. But you figure out that corners of coffee tables are really, really sharp. Um, I learned with stitches inside my mouth. Uh, and, and I figured it out. I don't eat coffee tables anymore. Uh, it's just done. I'm done with that. But, but everything you're doing, you're walking through life, and it's, it's really hard. Um, and, and parents, because they're, they're kind of on this new track, they don't know what's going on either. Uh, there's no instruction manual for either one of us in, in the sense of day one, day two, here's how you do it. Kids, you couldn't read an instruction manual anyway, so it wouldn't really matter. Um, here's the other pressure part, though, that is put on you. From the day you're born, you probably had someone, I hope you had someone, I pray you had someone, who was doting over you, who was looking at you and saying, what a precious little angel. And then as they show, you know, grandma and grandpa, here's what they say, oh, here it is. Ready? She's perfect. That's pressure. I mean, that's just pressure. It's like, thanks a lot, Grandma. I mean, now I've got to be perfect. I've got to hold this thing up for my whole life. What a sweet angel. Thank you. Like, now I can't do anything wrong. You've set the bar just, just so high. Uh, look, at your, look at the front of your bulletin or the screen right now. Um, this is a picture that I, I want to just describe this because this talks about the uniqueness of being a kid and being a parent. Okay, as a kid, here's the deal. You are children. You are looking up to someone, uh, hopefully your parents, saying, help me. Now, when you're little, you don't know those words, so you just go, ah, and you yell things, and you do things, but we know what you mean by that. We, we can translate it. Sometimes as a teen, here's how it looks like. It looks like a smug look. You think I've seen that one before? Listen, you know what? When a teen's doing that, it's the same thing as a baby. Can't communicate it quite the way, right way. But a teen is looking at you saying, give me some boundaries. Be the one who step up and love me. Now, I'm just entering this with my own kids, but I've been a youth pastor for a lot of years. And I started off with some rocky relationship with a lot of teens that came back later and said, man, thanks for, thanks for taking as help me. I need someone to give me some boundaries. Um, children, this is you. This is you looking up. I don't care what your age is, uh, but if you're a child in here, that's you looking up, saying, help me. Um, one of the things that, uh, the, the reasons why kids do that is because kids lack things, okay? Now, this is just, should be obvious. Don't take offense at it, kids. You're kids, okay? Uh, Luke 2.52, you don't have to turn there. It's in your notes. But in Luke 2.52, we get a look at junior high Jesus. And it's really cool to think of junior high Jesus because you think of Jesus sometimes as always adult or always a baby. But he was in middle school one time, okay? Uh, he wasn't like in middle school, but he was a junior high aged kid at, at one point, right? And, and this verse in, in Luke 2.52 is great because it says this. 
that Jesus, who was perfect, but he was human. And so he, he was sinless, but he still grew up in some areas. And these areas reveal kind of the needs that kids have. Here are some of them. Luke 2.52. He grew in wisdom, in stature, in favor with man, and in favor with God. Now, if we could kind of, if we could kind of put this in, uh, in a needs mode, what are some of the needs that are just mentioned there? Okay. Now, by the way, I've used some subjects this morning. I don't normally put a ton of pictures of my own family in here, but I happen to have uh, currently five children. And so as I'm going through and doing this, I have personally witnessed these needs. It doesn't make me an expert in parenting, but it's starting to make me pretty experienced, and it's giving me gray hair. That's all I know. That's, that's what's happening right now. But I, I have seen experientially these needs come out. So let me just share some of the needs. If you look at, uh, if you look at wisdom, you could think of it as kind of a mental need. Okay? One of the mental needs is this. You look at kids, and they don't realize uh, that hot tubs are actually bigger than sinks. Okay? So, I mean, here's Briley, you know, trying to get a good hot tub soak in, and she's not getting it. Um, sometimes kids forget where their bedrooms are. Uh, they just, they completely forget. They don't really know. They have mental issues, and they're, they're growing, right? They're, they're learning as they go. There's also physical needs. Um, kids just sometimes aren't very good at getting over fences. Uh, they just get stuck. It's like a barrier. Um, this particular fence, Curran jumped over. But that's because he's an older kid. Uh, but here's, here's one that got stuck. Um, sometimes um, kids don't realize the physical danger they're in. Um, here's a picture taken where um, Ethan had no idea he was being stalked by a ninja deer. Uh, so I just said, Ethan, freeze. I'm like, you just hold perfectly still. And he's like, what, Dad? I'm like, shh, there was a ninja deer behind you. So he didn't even know that. I was there to help. Um, there's some, definitely some, some uh, social needs, okay? The difference between a hat and a cereal bowl, right? I mean, this is common. Kids, you've got stories of your own like this. You don't really know what's appropriate, what's inappropriate. Um, sometimes kids just forget which end the baby powder goes on. And that's just, you know, um, that just gets embarrassing. It's just awkward. It's just a weird thing to have that going on in public. Um, and then you look at, he grew in favor with man, that's social, but in favor with God, and that's spiritual. And God has placed you parents in for meeting these spiritual needs. Um, how to fight evil. Uh, is one. Um, how, to, how to enjoy and use music for the glory of God is another one. And then all of us, kids and adults alike, we all feel it sometimes um, like unwanted junk, like we're just put out for a garage sale. You've got to help your kids um, learn how to deal with those feelings and, um, and just equip them, right, and, and help them on their way. Now, I know, listen, I know all you families uh, have similar experiences and shots because these are common kinds of experiences. We had some fun with pictures, but, but those are real needs kids have, uh, mental needs and physical needs and social needs and spiritual needs. Kids, let me say this. Uh, there is no other person uh, on earth, aside from your mom and dad, who is, who is as uniquely equipped to offer you and to build you up in these four areas as your parents. God's given them as a gift to you. Uh, so my, my challenge to you just from the start is to constantly be looking to them and saying, help me. What I love about kids is they don't have a problem asking for help, right? They just say, I, I lack. I have needs. I don't know about Ninja Deer. Help me. Help me learn these things. And they do. They, they, they just receive, receive. Here's the kicker, though. I want you parents to look at this picture and realize that that child is also you. That we are children of a heavenly father 
and that we are to look up to our Father, just like this picture, and say, help me. Parents, wouldn't you agree that there's very little else in life that reveals your desperate need for an ongoing repentant life than parenting? I mean, the stakes are huge in parenting. They're massive. And the opportunity to miss the mark is ongoing in parenting. I mean, it starts, some days it's just dropping a kid off a changing table. Usually they bounce. That's how God made them. And so you can pick them back up and things are okay. But what happens is, every single day presents endless opportunities for things to to miss the mark. All of us as parents sitting in here are realizing, man, we're not all that we could be. We have room to grow. And I don't care how great of a parent you are or think you are, or how terrible of a parent you are or think you are. It's us looking to God saying, help me. The next basic relationship, if you look in Ephesians 6, uh, that we're going to look at, Paul has been uh, laying out for us in the home, here is how the home is to function. And all these relationships need the Holy Spirit to come in and control that element. And the Christian life is really about submission first to God and then to one another. The next basic relationship we're going to look at is children and parents. Look at, look at uh, with me at Ephesians 6, 1-4. to It says this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, this morning, we trust your leadership. We trust your insight to, um, to be revealed to us. I thank you for every person gathered in here, young and old. God, that we would come and receive from you what you have for us in your, in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I need a parallel passage reader for me. So could someone raise their hand and be a parallel passage reader for me? You're like, I've never volunteered for that in my life. Naomi, uh, I need you to look up uh, Colossians chapter 3, and I'll get to it, but verse 20 and 21, okay? Thank you. Uh, This is not a difficult text here, okay? It is not really that challenging of a text to understand. You can read this at many different ages and just say, yeah, I pretty much get that. I understand what that is. We're still going to unpack this and talk about it, but it's not a challenging, difficult text where all kinds of things have been lost in translation and you have to really dig for meaning. There's, There's not a whole lot of that going on. Okay? And so in that sense, you can kind of take a deep breath. Uh, on the other hand, what I, what I do want to say is this, that uh, there's, a, there's a ton in your notes. I've written down a bunch of things for you because this is an intensely practical passage that will uh, affect you today and tomorrow and ongoing. Okay? And so just, just kind of pay attention to that. Kids, obey your parents. This does not reveal God's supernatural revelation to understand this concept, okay? Uh, how many of you have traveled outside the, the U.S.? Okay, raise your hand. A lot of people have traveled outside the U.S. Um, in most every culture that you have visited, I don't even know where you've gone, but in almost every single culture you've ever visited, this is a natural law that's just there, right? Kids are told to obey their parents. In fact, in many places, um, kids, you don't know how good you have it in this era of history. We'll talk about that in a second. But also in this country, Okay? But kids obeying parents, that is not a supernatural thing to try and figure that out. 
That's, that's, a, that's a natural thing. Paul says it this way, for it is right. That's just the right order of things. People get that. You don't need to be a Christian to get that. Here is what is supernatural, and the fact that God reveals this to us is so gracious to you kids, and so gracious to us parents. Here it is, ready? It's the idea that parents are commanded to respect their children. Now that's supernatural. That's something that is not, it goes against our nature in that sense, and it's supernatural. Here's what happened in the fall, by the way. When sin entered the world, watch the screen for a second. When sin entered the world, this whole thing flipped. And it went from obey your parents to a kid getting this sense in them of, I want my parents to obey me. And kids try ongoing to train their parents. Some of, some of you kids have succeeded pretty good in some areas. You've got your parents trained in some areas because you've been working at it. You know what that is? Let me just say what it is. It's the sin nature that says this. I don't want to submit. I don't want to submit to any outside authority, and that's just the way it's going to go. And so there's kind of a conflict set up. Here's something else that the fall did. Here's something else that when sin entered the world, here's what happened. Parents, in general, went one of two directions, okay? Some parents, think about this in our culture. Maybe this is you I'm talking about, and I'm hitting close to home. Maybe this is someone that you know. But some parents take their children and they, and they lift them up. They exalt them to a place they were never meant to be. And let me tell you, kids make terrible gods. Making a little idol out of your child is recipe for heartache and disaster because it goes totally against the created order of things. They make terrible gods because they grow up and they go away. And here's what I've seen. I've seen numerous college-age students call my phone in tears saying, my parents just got a divorce. I'm in my freshman year of college. What do I do? Why'd they get a divorce? Ultimately, it's because the person I'm thinking of right now, single, single kid, moved out. It was over. That was the, the glue kind of holding things together. That kid had become a god in some way, shape, or form. Those who lift them up have the world revolve around that child. The emotional climate of the house is based on junior. The trials, the triumphs, the schedules, the experiences. Parents today, many parents today are suckered into this idea, my kid has to have every experience in the whole wide world. And nothing but the best. And this starts when you're very, very young. Don't buy cheap pampers. Your baby's bottom deserves the best. <laughs> and as a parent, I mean, really, as a parent, you're like, Man, I think this, is, this could be really true. I mean, by the end, you know, the, the, the fifth one in our family got leaves. Like, we're just like, here, we'll stick some leaves, uh, you know, bucket, I don't know, we'll do something, but we're not buying the super high, you know, high, high cost, you know, gold-laden uh, pampers. That's just not going to go down with us. Uh, and, and it kind of sucks us in. Uh, parents sometimes stop investing in each other and pouring into that relationship because the kid has come along, and all of a sudden, all the affection, all the attention, all the energy goes there, and there's nothing left for mom and dad. That is a recipe for disaster, and that is idolizing your kid. That's finding, uh, here's another trap, finding your identity, finding your worth, finding who you are, finding your joy, and realizing your deepest sorrow is when your child is either angry with you or not getting that experience or rejected by someone. That's lifting them up to a place they do not belong. It is disaster for your kids. It is disaster for you. The other thing that people sometimes do is to put them down. And that's, that's the idea of, um, <clears throat> you know, kids, kids really make terrible pets. 
Okay, that's just the, the truth of it. Some people decide, look, we've got a minivan, we've got to accessorize it, I guess we should get some children. I don't know, put some kids in. Some couples, they're like, look, we had a purebred dog, we did good with him, he went everywhere, I think we're supposed to graduate to a kid. You know, everyone else is doing it, we'll try that for a while. Uh, some people get the really terrible idea of we're struggling as a, as a couple. I think a kid might save our marriage. And, I mean, people do this, or save our relationship. I think if we had something like that, it could, it could really help. Some people have the impression that their child coming along, and I realize life circumstances are all different, but some people view children as an interruption to their career, an interruption to the plans they had made, an interruption to, to the, the world travel that they had wanted to do as a, as a young couple jet-setting around. And there are many people, possibly sitting in this room, who have felt that interruption since. There's a deep-seated unwantedness there that says, wow, I, I get the sense, uh, even though mom and dad never had to really specifically tell me, that I was somehow an interruption to them. Uh, I have many people, I now get the joy of when people ask me uh, about my family and whatever else, they ask me, how many kids do I have? I usually say five, and they go, whoa. You know, and, and um, many times they're shocked. I often, you know, will we'll throw in, uh, but we're not done. We have two more on the way. And they're like, mm? you know, they just really flip out at that. And here's what's fascinating. Many people, most people that I talk to uh, about children and about that, um, very few say this. M- many people say, you have five and you're getting two more? What? Why? Like, why would you want to do it? It creates all kinds of wonder. Why do you want to do that? Don't you have enough already? Now, here's what I know. Um, if someone today walked up and offered you $1 million for your child parent, would, would you consider that offer? Some of you had a fight this morning. You're like, maybe. I, I know it's not really the church answer. But if I'm being honest, no. The answer is no. Okay, I'll, I'll help you out, parents. No. You, you, you just wouldn't do that. You'd say, million dollars for my kid? No, wait. 1.5. Do, do I hear two? This is going a bad direction. Edit it out of the podcast. So Listen. If people really view that, and I, I think people would genuinely say, no, there's, there's no way. There's no way, you know, a million dollars. But here's the kicker. If, if I said to someone, uh, if I was sitting at Pete's one day ch- talking with someone, and somehow we got onto money, I said, yeah, I've done really well for myself. I have got $5 million sitting in the bank right now. I don't think anyone in this culture would look at me and say, man, why? That's too much. And then I say this, listen, this summer I'm getting two more million dollars. And they'd be like, why? Why do you want more? I mean, what, what do you want to do with two more? They would be envious. Most people. They would look at that and go, man, that would pull me out of some serious debt. That way I could really do some things I wanted. That would give me opportunity to give uh, to some charities and things I wanted to do. But our culture, I just want you to realize this. We live in this, in this era of time and, and a location and place where we, we can kind of say one thing, but if you really look at it, I just know from personal experience, I'm going to try this sometime. Five million, seven million. Just see how it goes. You know, uh, and, and, just, and just see what the conversation would, would, would take. It would probably take a little bit of a different shape. Laura, where's Laura at? Laura, come on up. Um, I texted Laura yesterday and asked if we could use her, uh, their check, second child as a prop. And... Um, <laughs> She is a quick one, and so she texted back, you mean me too. And I 
I had to confess that yes, I meant her too. Come on up here, Laura. You're such a good sport. Um, now, uh, Laura is in a place of, uh, what, a month and a half? Like a month, roughly? Okay, roughly a month. And um, what, we're, what we're about to do is we're going to read, according to the scripture, what children are. And what I want you to do, if you're a parent or a grandparent in here, I want you to look at the screen, and if you can see it, I know it's a little bit light, but I want you to read these um, with me and realize these are just a few that I've pulled together, okay? So read these out loud with me. Uh, Psalm 127.3, read it with me. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. Psalm 127.4-5 goes on to say this. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They're gifts. They're valued. Listen to Luke uh, 18.16. But Jesus called the children to Him and said, Let the little children come to Me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And finally, the last, uh, if you're filling these in, the last one is that children are to be present at public worship. A little side note. Paul is writing to the Ephesian church and having this letter read to all the churches. Do you notice he doesn't say, parents, tell your children from their pastor Paul to obey you. He doesn't send the message through the parents to the kids. He's talking directly to children. Children, this is why we have you in public worship once a month and at the start of every single Sunday morning. We think it's biblical. Look at Joshua uh, chapter 8.35. Read it with me. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. Let's give a... Uh, pre-birth round of applause for this next child and the awesome Thank you. Now there is a there is a curse in childbearing and this is from this is from Genesis that there would be pain in in childbearing but to look at a pregnant lady and realize what a gift. What a blessing. What an immensely priceless valuable blessing God has given to you and entrusted to you. That's what the Bible has to say about children. Kids, this is free. This is a little tip, okay? Get these verses from me after service. Make cute little Mother's Day and Father's Day things with your cute picture in it and just hang these around the house, okay? This way when your parents are kind of cross with you, you've been a little bit bad, they'll see this and remember, oh yeah, they're gifts. They're valuable. I do love these offspring of mine. We need the reminders once in a while. All right, we're moving on to children. Uh, children, specifically, here it is. Obey and honor. That's what you're to do. Okay, it's pretty simple. It's in the text. Uh, pull out your notes and write this down. Here's the big idea of the children's role in all of this. Okay, trust those who lead you by joyfully doing what they ask. Trust those who lead you by joyfully doing what they ask. Kids' biggest job is learning from their parents what it is to submit and to obey and to follow. And that's a hard job. It really is. That's a difficult job. But that's the job God has given you to do. Jesus made a big point of this idea 
that you show that you love someone by obeying them. In fact, Jesus almost took the word obey and the word love, and he would almost use it interchangeably at times. 1 John does the same kind of a thing. Listen to John 14, 15. This is Jesus talking uh, to his disciples. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You actually show Jesus that you really love him, not just lip service, but that you really love him by actually doing what he says. That's the same thing with your parents. Mom and dad, I love you. But then you don't obey them. What are your actions saying against your words? They're in conflict, right? They're not saying the same thing. So you show your parents that you love them by doing what they ask. Now, this was from a year ago. You say, how are we to do that? How are we to obey? Is that left open to interpretation? Here's a review. This is one year ago. We had a demanding series looking at all the demands God makes on his people. And one of them was for kids to obey their parents. Okay? This was last May. We taught from the same exact text, and I spent almost the whole time talking to just the kids. Remember that, kids? You were all sitting up front, and the parents got to listen in, but they were kind of in the back. Here's what I want to remind you about from this. I gave you a little guide. In fact, Andy, where's Andy? Andy was up here doing a Rubik's Cube thing. That was pretty cool. I gave you a little guide, and I taught you a word from the 80s called RAD. Remember that? Okay. Now, RAD stood for some things. Uh, here's the way that you are to obey. My kids know this because I grill them on it all the time. So my kids are exempt from being able to answer these questions. But does anyone know what R stood for in RAD? Anyone besides my children? My kids are like, I know this one. Anyone? Take a shot. Right now or right away? So you've got parents knowing this. The parents are like, we remember this one. Okay, here's what the R stood for. What is it? See, they, they, it's like a rap. They had it in their head. They're like, we know this. They just got to get the beat. That's it. Right away is how you obey. That means that you don't do it on your own timing. You don't do it when you feel like it. You don't do it until your dad's veins are like, boop, 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 like this, and mom's face is red. You don't wait for that. When your mom and dad ask, I mean, again, back to the ninja deer, freeze. Now, if he had said, well, well dad, what? he would have been dead. We would not have had Ethan right now. Um... And so there are times when, when you don't know what that is, but, but right away, not on your own timetable. All the way. Here's what this means. It doesn't mean do it to where you know mom and dad won't really look under the bed, and so you're going to clean everything by shoving it under there. Uh, hypothetical, right? I mean, this would never happen in my home. Um, you, you're not just doing it uh, as long as they're there and they see you. You're obeying all the way. Right away, all the way. And then here's a big challenge. Don't grumble or complain. Do it without grumbling or complaining. And that's where the honoring comes in. You can obey and be very, very dishonoring to your parents. And that doesn't please God. You can obey and be dishonoring to your parents. Colossians 3.20. Naomi, let's hear it. Did you already lose your place with that? Uh, She's got it. Just do 20 right now. Okay. Obey your parents in everything... For this pleases the Lord. I showed this text to you last week. It's a little short version of, of Ephesians, uh, kind of this, this, this passage we're in. Paul was a little bit more succinct in Colossians. Children, I want you to know, you please Almighty God when you obey your parents. Right away, all the way, without grumbling or complaining. Is this easy to do? No. But that's the idea behind it. You get a couple of things of when you're not 
to obey. Okay? Now, this is the huge exception to the rule, not the rule. If your parents ever ask you to do something that is directly contrary to Scripture, then you are allowed not to obey. You know why? You obey someone over your parents first and foremost, and that's God. Now, I would hope no parents in here would ever do this, but there are parents that sometimes get a bad idea. We're, we're strugglers too. And sometimes we think, man, we're going to do it. We hope God blesses this, but, but He's not acting quick enough, or He's not doing it this way, so we're going to do it this way, and we're going to ask you to do something that we know is wrong. That puts a kid in a really tough spot, doesn't it? You don't want to hurt mom and dad's feelings. You know you're supposed to obey. But you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God does not want you to steal. You know beyond the shadow of a doubt God doesn't want you to lie. I want to say from the authority of God's word today, you have the permission not to obey your parents in that moment. Now the way that you don't obey your parents can either be honoring or dishonoring. You know what you could do? Don't do this. You could whip your Bible open and say, neener, neener, neener. (laughs) Pastor Dave said, I ain't doing that. You know what? That's dishonoring and that doesn't glorify God. And now you're in sin and you're in judgment for that. But you know what you could do? You could actually help mom and dad out by saying, with tears in your eyes, and say, mom and dad, I know I'm supposed to obey you, but I cannot do that. That would be wrong to God. Man. That's the one time that you don't get to obey. Here's the other time. Ready? Once you grow up and you move out of the house and you're no longer under your parents' authority, your relationship changes. The idea of you obeying mom and dad changes at that point. The Bible says, here's the created order, that you leave your father and your mother and that you cleave to your wife, you cleave to your husband. You go form a new family. So here's the thing. Um, we have some gentlemen and ladies in this room who are old enough to be my grandparents. They don't obey their parents anymore. I don't obey my mom and my dad anymore. It changes at that point. I've now come out from under their authority and God's allowed me to be on my own. But here's the kicker, and this is to the adults in the room, maybe more than anyone else. Honoring never ends. You are commanded in Scripture to honor your father and mother for all of your days. Let me give you three quick snapshots of how that might look. Here it is. Ready? Your wedding. If you're not married yet, your wedding day should be a day. You may have been on your own for a while now. You're not obeying mom and dad. It's honoring, though, ladies, to go and ask your dad, uh, or gentlemen, to go ask the, the lady's dad permission, recognizing his authority, his influence, his pouring into that precious, sweet image bearer of God. Your wedding day should be one of honoring mom and dad. Here's another one. All through life, going and seeking for ways to show them love and respect by getting their input. Some of you have had terrible role models in parents. Maybe they were doing the best they could, but you look at it and say, that's one of the destroying factors of my life. How could I ever honor that? Pray to God and ask for ways. Lord, how can I honor them? I want to I hold true to what you've told me to do, but I can't honor their sin. I can't honor all this destruction of what's gone, gone on. Look for ways to honor them. Here's a final thing. In old age, don't ignore your parents. I'm a guy, and my, my mom uh, has, has three sons, and my wife talks to her mom almost every day and her sister's. Um, it is a struggle for me to remember to do that. I love my mom, think about my mom often, but I just don't call nearly as much. 
Now, mom, if you're listening, I'm not calling you old. But I'm just saying, remember your parents in old age means thinking of them, pouring into them, visiting them, honoring them by your presence. And um, as a parent, we should get this. We should get how much they really gave. I'm learning afresh every day. And I thank my parents often. Thank you so much for how you raised me. Thank you for pouring in and investing in me. That's the way that we honor for a lifetime. Kids, trust those who, who lead you by joyfully doing what they ask. Got it? Parents, we're going to move on to you. We spent a lot of time in kids last time, so we're going to spend more time on the parents this time. Here's the big idea for the parents. Train up, don't fire up, okay? Don't fire up your kids. Don't provoke your kids to anger. He talks to fathers here. Um, let me, before I do that, I, I have a little thing on goals here. Some people's, some parents' goals, even Christians' goals, are that they would be happy, are that they would be well-adjusted members of society, are that they would be totally loyal to the family. Let me say, according to the Bible, I think those are terrible goals for your kids. I think those are misguided goals for you as a parent. As I read the scriptures and look to them, here's what I know. I cannot make my kids a Christian. That's entirely God's work. He's sovereign in that. But I want to do everything I can. Here is the singular aim of of raising my kids and my parenting strategy. Is I desire with nothing more than that they would be deeply in love and following closely behind Jesus. And so especially in the early years, I heard someone describe it this way. You get all the kindling you can and you just build that fire uh, right there. And you can't light a spark of faith in a kid. You can't do it. That's always God's work. It was God's work in your life. It's God's work in your kid's life. But you put so much dry kindling around there that when the spark of faith comes, it catches. The second it comes, man, you better figure it out. This is an important season in life. Put the iPhone down and go over and you start blowing on that flame. You start nurturing it. You start figuring out how you can do whatever you can to make that a raging inferno in your kid's life. That's a biblical goal, in my opinion. You read the scriptures, you tell me. That's a biblical goal of parenting. Now, your target informs your authority. Your target informs your methods to your madness, right? If you're going after a world system, you're going to use the world's rules to how to get there. If you're going after a fleshly, human-only goal, your methods will be human and fleshly to to accomplish those. But if spiritual, you're going to need spiritual uh, uh, systems and authority. First, the, the, the do not. Fathers. He's talking to fathers here. Now, again, he's kind of carrying the idea of parents from verse 1 of chapter 6. Obey your parents, plural. That means you're a team in this. I do think from the previous section in chapter 5 that we talked about last week and will continue in two weeks, that because man is the head of the household, there's a special responsibility and burden on us men. Unquestioned in Scripture. But moms, can you provoke your kids to anger? Absolutely. So you're not off the hook with this. (laughs) You're not allowed to, but I can Provoke to anger, exasperate, unreasonable demands. Now here, this is the supernatural part of this passage. This was unheard of in Paul's day. Here's Roman law in Paul's day. Here is what was law across the land. Dads, ready for this? You had total and complete domination and control and sovereignty of your kids' every existence. 
what he did or didn't do, how you raised them or didn't raise them. You could sell them as slaves. Kids, better behave in that, in that day and age. They could sell you as a slave if they wanted to. They could actually condemn you to death. Not only would the government not step in and stop it, they would just willingly approve and say, that's his prerogative. Here's what they would do to a, a Roman dad if you were wealthy enough, I suppose. They'd come and they'd lay the child at, at your feet. If dad wanted another kid, if he, if, he, if he thought you were worthy or whatever, here's what he'd do. He'd scoop you up in your, his arms, and that meant you were accepted. You were into the family. You were welcomed into the home. But if dad did this, if dad looked down at you, kids, this is the culture Paul's writing to. If dad did this and just walked away like this, guess what that meant? That meant you were either killed, possibly by drowning, sold into slavery, or sold into prostitution. That's what your life was worth. Paul comes along, God comes along in his sovereignty, and here's what he says. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. I mean, do you see how utterly revolutionary that is? He's calling for kids to honor and respect parents. Everyone gets that in every culture. We're bigger than you. We're louder than you. We're smarter than you. All of a sudden, here's what he says. Parents, respect your kids. It's a mutual respect that God has come and instilled. That's the power of the gospel. That is mind-blowing stuff that is a little bit lost on us. Now, we look at this and we say, man, how callous and wicked that is for a government to set up a system that way. How horrible for a dad to stand up there and just pass judgment on that. Let me throw out the high-tech version that we have in 2011. It's called abortion. Now we can do this in the womb. We say, worth living, not worth living. Done. It's equally callous. It's equally wicked. It's just more high-tech. That's it. Studies show in the foster care system today, there's a massively growing number of kids who will sleep in an institution in Santa Clara County Tonight, not because of economic reasons, not even because mom and dad are divorced, but because of disinterest. They've been rejected from the home. It's equally callous. It's equally wicked. It's just harder to see in our own culture. We see it in another culture. We say that's disgusting. We see it in ours, and we feel okay about it sometimes. Two ways to provoke. One is to be aggressive, one is to be passive. Some guys especially are lord of the manor, rulers of their home. They've got it all backward about what the head of the family means. By the way, men, study leadership in the Bible. It's only mentioned, I think King James mentions it maybe six times. Almost every time it's the role of a servant or a minister. How many times is Moses called a leader? He's called my servant Moses. Servant, servant, servant. We looked at that last week a little bit. We'll get more to it when we talk to guys in a couple weeks about the home. But the aggressive, one-way communication, bullying of a child is sinful and wicked, and it's not at all what it is. And that's what it means to provoke your child to anger. But there's also a passive way to do this. Here's the passive way. It's the dad who comes home. He's totally checked out. He spends more time over the workbench than over his kid's homework. He's... He's there, but never there. I have met a lot of teens in my day who are enraged by their teenage years. And they're angry because they had missing parents, particularly dads. 
that weren't around. They have been provoked to anger by a slow, dripping absence. It's the sin of commission and the sin of omission. Things that you commit, which are horribly provoking, and things that you don't do that, man, by the time the the seed has grown up in teenage years, you've just reaped a horrible rage and anger. I want to show you a Harvard University study done by two sociologists, um, and they developed this test that proved to be 90% accurate to determine whether whether or not five- and six-year-olds would become delinquent, and they came up with four decisive factors. And if these were in the home, they would not grow up delinquent. If they were missing, then they would. Here they are. Ready? I don't know if you can read these, but I'll read them for you. The father's firm, fair, and consistent discipline. Number two, the mother's supervision and companionship during the day. Number three, the parents demonstrated affection for each other and for their children. Number four, the families spending time together in activities where all participated. If you're not a Christian, I hope you're impressed by the Harvard study. If you're a Christian and you find more power in a Harvard study than the scriptures, you already have it backwards a little bit. I would just challenge you, lend weight to the authority of God. He's laid it out how the home should work. What this Harvard study is saying is not new, it's just biblical. Does that look like biblical home life? Does that look like Ephesians 5 and 6 and Colossians 3 and other places in Scripture? It absolutely does. There's some more subtle forms of provoking, and I think these are all meant for good. Kids, give us a break. Honestly, parents are doing, most every parent I've ever met, they're doing the best they can with what they have in that moment. Parents, there's a lot of grace. God gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Help me! Right? That's the message today. But let me throw out some subtle forms of provoking. You say, man, I'm not the super checked out person. I'm not, the, I'm not the bully. I've got them in your notes, but here they are. Overprotection. This is smothering and no trust uh, of, the, of the child. It's guiding them to the point of, of controlling every ounce of them. Understand that your kid's will can be guided and should be guided. Please guide it. But it can't be controlled. And once again, I have seen parent, I have seen 18-year-olds try to legally, basically, legally divorce their family. The second they could get out from under their control, legally divorce. And yet this was, the one I'm thinking of right now in this moment, 10 years ago, homeschool, very compliant, yes sir, yes ma'am. You would have thought the picture of the Christian kid, they were controlled, but their, their, their will was, was enraging. This person was provoked. Parents thought they were doing good, but it was horrible. How about favoritism? You want to see a messed up family in favoritism? Go to Isaac and Rebecca. They had two kids, Esau and Jacob. Dad liked Esau. Mom liked Jacob. God shows no favoritism. Don't show favoritism to your kid. Spouses, if you're enabling this by not stepping in and saying, you are treating our girls harsher than our boys, or vice versa. You are treating the oldest way different than the youngest. This is a struggle. But there are all kinds of favoritism versions that will provoke your kids. Here's another one. Overachievement. This is the person who it's never good enough. Uh, sometimes parents live out the fantasies of what they didn't accomplish through their kids. This happens all the time in the sports arena. Your kids most likely aren't going to be professional athletes. Lay that down, okay? I'm a highly competitive person. I get that. But don't, don't drive your kids to overachievement. 
uh, discouragement, never complimenting, overcorrecting, focusing always on how to improve. Why don't you ever build your kid up? I am. I love my kid. But they just always got so much more to learn. That can be really provoking. How about intrusion? This is the idea, again, where um, there's a sense of unwantedness. Uh, and, and parents can do this really in subtle, subtle kinds of ways. One of the things about us, if you invite us places... Now, I just had a night out with my wife with some of our friends where kids weren't invited. Okay? But that's the exception rather than the rule. When you invite me somewhere, plan on having my wife and seven small people... Relatively small. Curran's getting massive, but <laughs> relatively small people with me. Okay, that's how it goes. I understand. I don't even get invited to certain places because of that. Uh, one guy was really bold. He invited, he's a young married guy. He invited me to a Super Bowl party. He has a one-bedroom apartment. Him and his wife, brand new married. And they invited us, and, the whole, and he knew the whole family was coming. And uh, we ended up not going, but that would have absolutely packed out that guy's place. There are times that I don't accept because they say, well, kids can't come. I said, oh, that's fine. That's no big deal at all. But, but we're a family. Kids, uh, uh, parents, if you're never sacrificing for your kids, then, then there's, a, then there's a, a, a sense sometimes of them being unwanted and them being an intrusion into your lifestyle. Guess what my lifestyle is right now? It involves a lot of little people, and I love it. I praise God for it. It's not an intrusion. It's not blocking me from where I really need to be or any of that. It's exactly where God has me. And if God has allowed you to be pregnant, that's where God has you. Praise God. You had your plans. He directed your steps. Uh, let me show you a picture. This is Kid Day uh, 2007. Uh, we decided, we were talking. One of our kids asked at one point, you know, there's Mother's Day, there's Father's Day. How come there's not Kids Day? We're like, you know what? That's a great idea. So instead of mom getting breakfast in bed, mom and I got up and we made kids breakfast in bed and they got to read. Uh, I think we did the chores that day. We just, we just let them have Kid Day. And we thought, that seemed, that seemed reasonable. Now, I don't know why. Now, my kids are going to hold me to this, okay? I don't know why. We just thought it was a good idea for a year, and we forgot about it next year, conveniently. I mean, honestly, it was legitimate that we forgot. But, uh, but we, we might need to reinstill that. Here's, a, here's another way that, that we've done it. For our anniversary, we decided early on, we thought, man, the anniversary is really not about just my wife and I having a romantic dinner ourselves without our kids. Now, we can still go do that, but our anniversary is the birth of our family. So we started celebrating our anniversary by going creek walking at Stevens Creek uh, with fancy cheese and salami, you know, or whatever. But it involved the family because we thought the anniversary really isn't just about us, and then they're an add-on somehow. It's, it's, it's the birth of our family. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Finally, verbal or physical abuse is never acceptable. It's sin. Repent and get help. Wives, many wives are complicit in this by enabling their husbands to continue to do this. Husbands, you might be implicit in this by allowing your wife to continue to do this. If you think something's wrong, talk to someone. It's never okay. Here's my action step. Ask an older person what they would do differently in their parenting and then listen attentively. For those, of you, for those who say, I wouldn't change a thing, they're not in touch with their own sin and their own uh, regrets. Don't, don't listen to them. I know that's kind of a neat, quaint response, but, but there ought to be things we, we, we would have done differently. Listen to them. All right, here's what we're to do. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Very quickly, reject unbiblical methods. I'm not going to walk through each one of these. They're in your notes. But bribery, uh, the emotional plea, uh, punitive, behavior modification, and I didn't turn out so bad are unbiblical, terrible methods. We all use them at some point. Let me give a big grace eraser and say, God forgives. His mercies are fresh today. Accept and receive them. But reject unbiblical methods of 
training up. The problem with these is they don't lead to the life-giving message of the gospel. When you use behavior modification, for instance, you're actually training the heart away from the cross and away from the gospel message rather than toward it. The problem with the message, methods I just described, and if you want to expand on them and know what I'm talking about, I'll, I'll, I'll share with you afterwards, but is that they don't focus on character development. In fact, character development is actually ignored. Your children will learn to make decisions based on expediency, based on what's convenient to them. Huh, if I want this reward, if it's a good enough reward, yeah, I'll change my behavior for that. Do you see how external this focus is rather than internal? Now again, I have been there this week. I knew what I was talking on. So the Lord just kept reminding me, hey, that's behavior modification. I'm like, ah! That's punitive. Ah! And so listen to it though and say, okay, that's exactly right. Why do we do it? We fall into it because it's so easy. It's so much easier to just do this and and just kind of be done with it. But it's lazy parenting. And it's unbiblical and ungodly. Help me. Remember that message? Here it is. Embrace biblical methods. I'm going to go through this so fast, I'm probably going to raise more questions than answers, but that's okay. The rod and total communication. These are two massive themes in Scripture about how to raise your kids biblically. Remember, if your goals are biblical, then your methods must be in sync with your goals. So they're trying to accomplish things. Not biblical goals, but done your way. God bless my fleshly efforts on how to get there. I don't see that in scriptures. I see it needing to be lined up. Turn to Proverbs 23. It's in the middle of your Bible. In the middle of your Bible, you're going to see in Proverbs the rod and what I'm calling total communication line up really beautifully. And we see this elsewhere too. I'll give you a second to get there. I want you to listen as we read this for the rod, which means discipline, and total communication, meaning a robust communication, not one word answers back and forth. Proverbs uh, 23, starting in verse 13, read with me, or just follow along with me. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from shale. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. Let not your heart envy sinners. But continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Hear, my son, and be wise and direct your heart in the way. Look down at verse 22. Listen to what your father says who gave you life. And do not despise your mother when she is old. And one more, verse 26. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Do you hear it? Do you hear discipline in there and total communication going on? They're both there. Here's what I mean by the the rod very quickly. Built into the word discipline is the word disciple, and I want you to remember that. Discipline is not meant for punishment. It's not meant for payback. It's not meant to vent your anger or frustration about a situation, or worse yet, your embarrassment out in public about a situation. It is meant to disciple. It is meant to train up. It genuinely should always hurt you more than it should hurt the child. Proverbs 13, 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Every single child, as precious as they look and are, are born morally opposed 
not neutral, but morally opposed to yielding to authority. They are born unwilling to yield to authority. Rebellion, when it's left unchecked, grows into something uh, monstrous and eventually death. And the function of the rod, catch this, the function of the rod is to bring discipline. Proverbs 29.15, the rod and reproof give wisdom. Dave, are you talking about spanking? A quick word on this. Again, this may raise more, more questions than answers. Yes, I'm talking about spanking. Now, spanking ought to be, I'm going to go into what I think biblical spanking looks like, by the way, but it ought to be one tool in a vast toolbox for parents to use. But biblical spanking is this. It's not an angry parent who's red-faced and associated with all of that that I talked about before, paying back or in, in putting the wrath of you on them in any way, shape, or form. It is a faithful parent that recognizes the grave danger of unchecked willful obedience and trusts and employs God's method to correct that and to steer that. It is careful, measured, and controlled use of physical punishment by a parent. Taken outside of the parent-child relationship, given in the hands of a schoolmaster, of a youth pastor, of someone else, changes the, the, the dynamic of it. Discipline your sons, it says. This is not adults beating children. This is not adults correcting children. This is a parent doing it and kept within the confines of a parent. I know some, I know many perhaps in this room disagree with me on this. But I see this as a rescue mission for you as a parent. Again, I have worked with not your kids, but kids just like yours in their teens, late teens, and early 20s. I have talked to hundreds of of families, And I'll tell you this right now. It's an act of faith to realize, man, I, this feels really bad at times. This hurts. That ought to hurt every single time you spank or discipline or time out or whatever thing you're using. I have seen the fruit of righteousness produced from not sparing the rod. And I have seen the fruit of hating your child, loving them too much, goes the reasoning to ever want to hurt them in any way, shape, or form. Look to God how he parents us, full of grace, full of mercy. But if you're a legitimate child, you're disciplined. That's the book of Hebrews. We move on. Uh, Hebrews 12, 11, I put it in. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who've been trained by it. My question for you is this. In 15 years, will your child thank you for this? Not right now in the moment. Parents, that's what we get locked into. Right now they're angry at me. Right now they don't want this. In 15 years, will they thank you that you were this way with them? That's the question. I want you to know, as a 16, 17, 18, 19-year-old, I went back to my parents and I thanked them for when they grounded me and said this was the law, they didn't budge on it. All my other friends could talk their parents out of it. I gave up trying. As a late teen, it already happened by late teen, I thanked them for it. My parents had a cute little spanking rod with strawberries painted on it. It was a paddle. <laughs> we don't have a paddle hanging in our, in our home. We didn't like that method. But I went back and I thanked my parents for their strict discipline. 
I realized later on it was love. Total communication. Uh, total communication. A father was asked recently if he communicates with his son. He says, oh, yeah, we talk okay. Um, just last night he told me he wanted a bike, and I told him to eat his beans. Um, sometimes this is parent communication, okay? Not just for the guys. Uh, we have kids uh, telling parents what they want and parents telling kids what to do. Parents, sometimes you're too busy. Sometimes you're too exhausted. I'm speaking from experience. Sometimes our kids are talking to us, and here's the irony. They're talking to us, talking to us, and we don't have the time. We're not really listening. We're halfway listening. What do they eventually learn? Stop talking. When they're little, they want to talk to us a ton. The irony is when they're a teen, you want to talk to them a ton. Sometimes as a teen, they don't have the time of day for you. Here's my challenge to you. Pour in right now. Listen right now. Really listen to your kids. Pray to God, help me for this, because I know it's hard. I know it's, it's tiring at times. But that's what he calls us to. Pursue the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's what you're going after in your kid. You... You change the heart. You, you see God change the heart of your kid and their behavior changes. It's always from the inside out. That's the way God works. Dialogue with your kids. Don't just monologue. Parents, listening is not what you're doing in between thinking of things you're going to say to your kids. That's a challenge for some of us. Really listen to your kids. That means two-way conversation. That means asking questions. If you get a one-word answer, that may have been a bad question. Ask a better question. Ask an open-ended question. Proverbs 25 says this, The purpose in a man's heart are like deep waters, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Drawing out the thoughts of another is one of the finest forms of communication. And it takes skill to do that. Focus on understanding the nature of the struggle in that moment. What specifically is the abundance of the heart in this circumstance? What is the temptation? What is their response to the temptation? What lie is being believed in by my child that they would engage in this kind of behavior? And what is the idol that needs to be smashed so they can stop believing that, that lie and trust in God? I put some keys in your notes. I'm not going to go over them, but you can look at them. Ephesians 4.29, we just looked at this a few weeks ago, but it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion. Catch this, that it may give grace to those who hear. You know what that means? There's a variety of communication that goes on on any given one hour period in your home. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 And we urge you brothers, here it is, admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Isn't that a good message for parents? Some of your kids need a stern talking to while others here need to be gently propped up. It's your role as parents to read and understand what they're doing when they're walking in the door. How was school today? Don't let that become just a ritual. Really look them in the eye and find out how school was today. You know what they might need? They might need a chocolate chip cookie and a glass of milk. Even though you've got, you wanted to hit them with chores or what they didn't do or, what, or what's going on tonight, they might not need that right in that moment. That's not the gracious thing. Encouragement. Fill your children with hope, courage, and inspiration. Here's what I'd point you to, parents. Ready? The promises of God. Learn, memorize, and offer to your kids the promises of God. Keep pointing them to the hope. We're not living for this life. We're not living for what's happening here. This is not all there is. 
Keep pointing them that way. You need to be reminded of it. Remind your kids of that. Secondly, look at the heroes of the faith. They might need encouragement by seeing that they weren't perfect people. God doesn't use the strongest, the mightiest, the smartest. God uses those who are faithful and whose hearts are completely His. That's what you're pointing Him toward. Another form of communication is correction. This specifically remedies something that was wrong. It's conformity to a standard. If you don't have a standard, then you're all over the place. What's wrong one day isn't wrong next week. That's very confusing and damaging to, to, to a child. I don't care if you're a teacher, you're a coach, you're a parent. That's damaging and wrong. You know what happens? If you're going based on your feeling, you're taking your kids on just a wild roller coaster. God's given us a standard. But I don't believe in the Bible. Settle the issue for your heart about the Bible. That would be some homework for you. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. A few more. Rebuke. This is stern disapproval. It can be behavior, attitudes, or words. But there are times your kids need to know that is totally unacceptable. I one time visited my grandparents in Texas. I thought I'd try out a swear word on my grandma. I didn't know it was a swear word. I didn't know what it meant. I thought it was a cool new hip word I learned on the playground. Here's my proper Christian southern grandparents. First day, the two kids from California come out to spend like six weeks with them. Little David's laying some bombs in the, in the room. <laughs> Let me tell you how the rebuke went. Here's the rebuke. Ready? <gasps> That's grandma. Okay? Gr- grandpa, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't have the guts to look at grandpa. <laughs> My brother immediately covers for me with a lie, which isn't right, kids, but he was trying. He said, da-da-da. He tried to say a different word. I ran out of the room crying. <laughs> I got the message that that wasn't the word I thought it was. My wise grandparents didn't come and just rage at me. They realized it was a total mistake. But you know what it was? It was a stern rebuke right then. I don't think I've said that word since. I was probably in, I don't know, fifth grade. That was a stern rebuke. I got it. I got the message. It didn't even take uh, much. Instruction is this. Introduce your kids to the wise, to the fool, to the sluggard, um, to the, the, the maligner or the gossip. Start in, uh, in Proverbs. Look for the word mocker. Look for the word fool. Introduce your kids to these. Train them up that way. Finally, warning. Teach your kids about the sowing and reaping principles. What does it mean to plant in one season and reap a harvest in another season? And warn your kids about things like that. Here's how I want to conclude, and then we're going to uh, do some singing. Band, why don't you come on up? Some parents... Um, feel this way they think so much along the side of their kids identifying with their kids that they say this I could never tell my kids what to do because I did some of the same stuff and I'd feel like a hypocrite we've all heard that line of reasoning right here's the problem with it you are absconding you're, you're taking your God given authority the two people in this whole world that are allowed to be parents to their kids and you're taking that and you're saying I know better than that I'm not going to do it I'm not going to be over my kid. That just seems cruel. You know what that is? It's an overreaction to someone who didn't understand the way God had authority for parents be for you. That is an overcorrection. Don't do it. The other uh, extremity here is that someone parents just from being over another. I'm in charge. I'm the parent. I've got a chapter and a verse. You listen and do what I say. 
Some of you grew up in homes like that. And you're struggling with the message today. The way I believe the Bible teaches us to parent is to parent over. Don't give that away. Do not give that away. And alongside of our kids. Here's the way you parent alongside your kids. You teach your kids that you are under authority. Junior, do you understand that as I'm disciplining you, as I'm training you, as I'm entreating you, I'm begging you, learn to obey mom and dad. I'm doing that because I need to obey my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to teach you, I want to show you what it is to trust a loving father. Do you trust me? You know I have my, your, your best mind, and yet this feels really difficult at times. Your heavenly father is going to do the same thing to you, but learn to trust that it's good. You're teaching them that by being alongside Don't just pray for your kids. Pray with your kids. Have your kids hear you pray. God, I am a sinner in need of grace. God, I blew it. I need to repent. God, I need your help as a parent. I want to end the service this way. If you are a parent in here and your kids are present, uh, would you get to a place where you can just lay hands on them right now? And I'm going to pray a prayer of of benediction uh, over those kids. If some friends are sitting nearby, uh, your, your friends' kids, touch them too. They, they, need some, they need some love on this. This is right out of Proverbs 6, and I want to just have this be kind of a, a prayer over the children this morning. Pray with me. Proverbs six twenty. My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them Bind them forever on your heart. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you when you sleep they will watch over you when you awake they will speak to you for these commands are a lamp this teaching is a light and the corrections of discipline are the way to life listen to your father who gave you life May she who gave you birth rejoice. Amen.